2: Hello and welcome back to yet another episode of Green and White, brought to you by Argyle Life. In the week that Plymouth City Centre became a little less green, Forest Green rocked up to the Theatre of Greens, only to be left green with envy after a 2-0 defeat at the hands of the Greens in front of the Green Army. However, Forest Green rocked up in electric pink, whilst news broke today that there will be no green on show at Wembley either. Joining me this week are Dan Elard. how are you?
3: Very good, how are you?
2: I'm good, thank you. Sam down, good Grand Prix? Uh, no.
4: <laughs> Absolutely not boring, but uh It was awful. Yeah. Um I'm glad George Russell got a podium, but um it was it was yeah, not a, not an entertaining race, unfortunately.
2: I'm talking about not entertaining, obviously a 2-0 win yesterday over Forest Green. Do you, want, do you want to run us through that one first, Sam?
4: Yeah, I think I think that was possibly even even less entertaining than the race, in all honesty. It's um close run thing anyway, but um but like, like the race, I was kind of slightly happy with the outcome. Obviously, and Argyle win. Um, we did the job. That's all that can be said about it, really. Forest Green were just really happy to keep the score down to stop them themselves getting humiliated. They were really, really non-existent going forward. I think they had one sort of shot from the edge of the area that Burton held on to and one semi-testing cross that Burton had to collect. And I think those are the only two times Burton had to touch the ball all game, apart from when it was passed back to him. I, 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 yeah, maybe one or two long boards in the channel. The point being, he was barely tested whatsoever by Forest Green. Even when they were losing, they played very, very defensively. They played with deep blocks, and I suppose you could say that, that the fact that they were reasonably competent defensively is, is maybe what stops them being in the discussion for the absolute worst team to ever come here, but Ultimately, going forward, they probably are up there, the worst teams to ever come here, if not the worst. They offered absolutely nothing. We got the job done. But we went in 1 0 up. First half, we were a bit pedestrian, um, but, but, but winning anyway. We brought on Callum Wright because we clearly realised we didn't need wing backs. We just need wingers playing as wing backs. And then we took a quick 2 0 lead, and that was it. Then it was completely over to the contest.
2: Anything to add there, Dad?
3: Well, mainly to say that the looking at them kind of socials after the game, that some Forest Green fans were saying that was one of their best performances in ages. Um, I'd love to have seen the others if that was one of the best, because I can't believe how bad they were. Um, a, 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 I've seen teams set up like that at nil-nil with a kind of basis to just try and desperately keep it at that scoreline for as long as possible. But Forest Green, even at two nil down, just showed barely any ambition. Um, they seem quite happy to kind of settle for a for a two nil defeat. I think you could tell by their fans singing, um, "How bad must you be?" Uh, it's only one nil. About fifteen minutes into the game, kind of suggests how, how bad they have been um, of late. So it it was a it was a potential massive banana skin for us and it's it's a good one to avoid not the most exciting game but just to get through that and get the three points bounce back from last week is is all that matters really
2: whilst you both mention it i'll I'll ask it now but obviously as you said many online were suggesting that forest green are one of the worst sides to ever come to home park or uh, uh, that ever faced at this level shall i say If, if that's the case then do we feel like it's an opportunity missed not to get the goal difference looking slightly more respectable yeah, but I
3: I don't think you know that at the end of the day it's it's our goal difference is I think quite a bit worse than all the others anyway, isn't it? So even if you know we had racked up a bit of a cricket score, the fact that, like I say, I, th- I think I think I'm right that in that our goal difference is worse than is and possibly Barnsley's. So if they get the points, if they get more points to kind of put themselves above us in the table, it's likely that they'll have an even better goal difference swing on us. So unless we hammered them about 13-0 yesterday, I don't think it would have made that much of a difference. Yeah,
4: I, I agree with that. And the other point I'd add is, 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 energy, is energy preservation, just in the fact that we have got a game on Tuesday. If we'd have really, you know, um, put, you know, full uh, feet to the throttle or whatever the expression is, and, and really just um, attacked and attacked them and, and threw you know, overloaded attacking areas and and constantly whip balls in the box. Yes, we might have won four nil rather than two nil, or even five nil rather than two nil. But we'd probably be more tired out going into Tuesday's game, and ultimately with the games to come, fitness is a it's like a it's like a violin. You want to tune it carefully. You don't want to just you know blast that, blast out everything and end up um end up being in a, in a worse state down the line. You have to kind of ma- manage fitness carefully. Um going into those final, going into those all-important final nine league games plus plus Wembley. So um yeah, I think it was absolutely the right thing. I do think first half we maybe took that a bit too far to the extreme first half we were very sloppy at times, very pedestrian. So I think second half we did realize that we had to be a little bit more attacking just to get that all important second goal and put the game beyond doubt which we did after Callum Wright came on as wing back and we just generally looked pretty good for that first 20 minutes in the second half. But yeah, when it got to 65 minutes and it was 2-0, you know, foot off the gas at that point, And I don't have any arguments with that at all. I think the goal difference impact would have been minimal and the fitness
2: preservation impact more important. The Fitness Preservation Society. Obviously, five changes to the starting lineup. Classic shoey roulette. Obviously, the most notable being James Bolton coming in for his first league, starting almost a year. It took him less than seven minutes to get on the score sheet. How much of a boost is his return from injury and his subsequent recent performances?
3: It's, it's useful, but he seems to be mainly uh, liked as a middle centre back, which um, suggests that with Dan Scar being almost back in the fold, he was on the bench uh, yesterday. Implies that, you know, he might struggle to keep his place in the team unless um, Shuey thinks he can do a job at right centre back or maybe even left centre back. Um, he's going to struggle to stay in the side. So, you know, he, he did well. Um, it's good to have another option there for sure. Um, but we have got a bit of a, I think we're kind of spoiled in that department with having Scar Bolton and when James Wilson played there kind of last month, I was very impressed by him there too. So, um, good to have good to have Bolton back but not not a critical um, area of the team where we're really short at the minute I'd say uh, yeah I, I think I think that's a fair comment I think
4: he he has played right centre-back at times we might see him played there before the season's end um, what I would say is that I think he, he is just an excellent excellent defender when he's fit the only question mark about him is, and admittedly it is a big question mark is that of his fitness I think when he's fit, when he's sort of fully fit to play to play ninety like he did, rather than just to come on for ten at the end to preserve a lead. I think in that in that scenario, he's arguably the best centre back at the club, possibly even ahead of Scar. Um just because, because I think the level of quality that he shows in terms of reading the game, not the dramatics, just being able to, you know, sniff out a loose ball and intercept it and then and then get, get it get the ball flowing back up the pitch again it. is it, just superb. And I think that run, everyone forgets that as much as the SCAR injury has cost us this season at times, with Longvike f- filling in and-, and Wilson going in the middle at times, um, last season when SCAR got injured, it didn't cost us at all because um, Bolton came in and Bolton, if anything, was even better. So, yeah, I think he's an absolutely fantastic player and goodness me, if he could save it regularly, he wouldn't be playing for Plymouth Argyle. of our goal, I'm sure of that.
2: Let's just go to SCAR whilst, whilst we're talking about him. Uh, how do we see his return? Surely we want 90 out of him before the cup final. But do you risk throwing him in against Atkinson? Not so. I'm not bothered about the cup final. I think
4: it's the least important game of the season. I'm, I'm going to go and I'm going to enjoy it. I'm going to have a good day. But I think, but very much for the cup final, I would still be rotating. I'd, I'd, I'd still be, you know, playing people like Mikel Miller and Brendan Galloway, the people who don't start very often. Um, I wouldn't obviously. I wouldn't play a team of youth players. I'm, I'm, um, I'm not a fundamentalist, but I would be. I think it's by far the least important Thanks, game of the ten we have left, and I would be. Rotating, So I don't think it's important. I think if anything, the cup final might be a good game to we scar back in for the much more
2: important league game against Morecambe that's going to come five days later. Correct answer. Obviously, not not our free-flowing best in the first half. Obviously, it, it only took two minutes into the second... to Seven minutes, sorry, into the second half to double the lead. Ballymumba popping up at the back post. Two crosses, two headers, two goals. Is that a different form of attack from our goal?
3: Very much so. I was... Um chatting to Sam yesterday actually about are those our two first headed goals of the season Sam pointed out um, Cosgrove against Wednesday and uh, Gillespie Gillespie at Peterborough Peterborough. yeah Yeah. but outside so I think we are right in saying that is kind of doubled our headed goals tally for the season it was an inevitability against a low you know that lower block in that you know how just how do you get in behind a team that's sitting that deep it's just not possible which is why I think it was a sensible move to start Niall Ennis in that respect because Ryan Hardy's pace in behind. Well, there, there was no in behind yesterday, wasn't there? So, um, but it's, it's, it's good to see that, you know, we, it's, it's, we are capable of, of scoring, um, scoring headers, not two players that you perhaps um, expect, um, especially Bally Mumba, but it was, you know, they were two pretty uncontested headers. So, um yeah, good that we were able to stick those two away and, and have a, a level of comfort in the game because the longer it stayed at nil nil, I think that would have become really frustrating. I mean, the crowd were kind of a little bit frustrated at 2-0 up yesterday. Imagine what it would have been like if it was still nil. A
2: 100 games now for an, in, in an Argyle shirt for Jordan Houghton. I would suggest that my favourite Houghton memory is a goal that nobody saw because we were all stuck on the motorway, but... What does he bring to this Argyle side, Sam?
4: I've said ever since the start of last season that that Jordan Houghton has all the tools to be one of the best midfielders in the league, uh, and and to be capable at the league above. He is strong. He's pretty quick for a CM. He's good on the ball. He can spot a good pass. He 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 um, he, he can he can go long. He can go short with his passing. I think he's got absolutely all the tools, physically, mentally, and technically. Um, in terms of what he can do. What lets him down, <clears throat> excuse me, i some thin a bit breathy myself. What lets him down is 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 just the going missing in the in the big game, simple as that. It happened when he was here on loan, um, when we had our wobble and he, and he was one of the weaker players in that wobble. And, and it happened towards the tail end of last season as well when we had our big run of games. And there have been some signs in some of the games of it happening this season. I I said to Dan when we were um, we were watching on on Sky. I should add for, for our for our listeners, we were watching the, the the Cheltenham final, and I said to Dan, "There's absolutely sorry, the final, the semi-final of the Beacher Cup," and I said, "There's absolutely no way in this world Jordan Houghton's going to score the penalty to send us to Wembley," and and he didn't, and I was quite right. And I think the, the the question mark about Houghton is really the only question mark is how he steps up to big moments and 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 whether he has whether he has some sort of psychological block or lack of confidence in the big moments that stops him putting in the performances that he's capable of putting in. Not always, because at at Chelsea away was was his best performance for the club and and one of the best performances I've ever seen any central fielder put in for Argonne. He was absolutely phenomenal that day. But too many times, he's not a big game player. Uh, So I think that's something we're going to really need to see in the running, that he can do it in those big games. And he was good yesterday, got an assist, a uh, good corner in for Bolton, so let's just hope we we see the Houghton of yesterday continue and not the Houghton that we've sort of seen worryingly too often at times in the big games.
2: Yeah, you say that he's got all the all the potential to step up. Obviously, we saw him partner Matt Butcher in the middle, not something we've seen an awful lot. But you know, if we go up next season and we don't retain Matete, which is which is more than likely, you know, that could be our regular starting midfield two. Do, do you think that's good enough?
4: Uh no, <laughs> I no I think I well I because well, I th- I think Randall would Randall would probably in there if he's fit for one, and also I think even if, if he's he not
2: come- been sold to a Southampton or a bigger club.
4: Oh yeah, no. <laughs> yeah we we won't start any controversies about your articles about Randall again. So yeah, uh, no Randall I think is ahead of them because I think um even, even though even, even though Randall himself can sometimes have a ha- have the odd game where passes a bit wavered or whatever I think he's so ambitious in his passing range he, he's going to get a few more passes wrong just because he tried so many you know spectacular passes um so I think Randall with, with his youth and potential to develop and improve Randall is, is, in, is in the two and I think even if we don't sign Matete he probably sign someone else I think look rotation is, is Schumacher's favorite word so I think Houghton would be probably rotated in and out um if if we go up uh but I, I I don't want to criticize butcher he's been really good since coming back into the team but the championship's a whole other level isn't it look how good matete can be and he wasn't getting anywhere near Sunderland's team so you know I don't think Houghton and butcher if they're if they're starting 35 to 40 games a season is in the midfield that's especially competitive for the championship but it's good as they're both far for league one but so I think they could both be rotated they could both play some games but Ultimately, I would kind of be looking at our first choice starting two for next season if we are in the Championship, being Randall plus whatever.
2: Going from one Jordan to another, obviously, I think Duncan Ferguson's best decision yesterday was to send on Jordan Garrick for his return. Good to see him back at home park, Dan.
3: It was, and a nice nice reception for him as well, which he um, reciprocated, which is always good. I I read before the game um, that he's apparently already their third top scorer, um, behind Connor Wickham, who's left, and I forget forget who it, who is their other other one in that top three. Um, but they're on something pitiful, like five goals, which um, is pretty kind of damning, kind of showing how how bad they've been this season. Um, good to have him back. Um, I don't know what his next kind of career move will be. I'd like to think it would be. In League One, I think he showed enough for us last season that that would be potentially his next level. Maybe he'll have to drop down to League Two, but um, yeah, for you know he he was a, a, a solid option for us last season, um, especially given that you know his his main strength is as a winger, and that we didn't didn't play wingers at all last season. So um, yeah, nice to see him back. Very difficult to kind of assess how he how he could perform because, you know, they just had so little of the ball. And, and when he did get the, on the ball, it was kind of numerous Argyle players around him and the rest of his teammates were about 30 yards behind. So um, yeah, di- difficult to say in, in that respect.
4: Yeah. I, I would, I would echo those words. I, I think possibly he, he's, I think he, he he's a capable league one squad player. I think for him to really, he's one of those two to really fry. He would probably have to go into league two. Cause I think it's, as much as he was decent for us last season, I think he was one of those who our style and and us being a good team unit maybe got more out of him than 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 the kind of average League One side would have. I think he was he he was a system player to to some extent, but he he certainly wasn't bad. And I, you know, yeah, got, he, he was certainly a you know, very very much an honest try. and had a good relationship with, with the fans. I remember at Cheltenham away when he scored, he uh, somebody threw a wig. Under the pitch, uh, celebrating the goal, and he he started dancing in the green wig. So, uh, and uh, yeah, yeah, he, he seemed like he had a good bond with the fans, and he seemed he genuinely enjoyed it down here, like a like a lot of lonies do when they come down here. So, hopefully, he had, yeah going on to have a, a good career elsewhere.
2: Yeah, last question on Forest Green. Obviously, it would be amiss of us not to mention Duncan Ferguson's post match reaction. Uh, he suggested, and a quote that the game plan worked to a Tactically, we were brilliant. Executed the game plan, frustrated them. They never created to hardly any chances. That was me translating <laughs> from Scottish, so he might not have said that. If if that was their game plan was to sit eleven men behind the ball and not create any attacking opportunities, of no, it's fair to say that they're all but down, right?
3: Surely, yeah.
2: I think
4: he's 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 he's, uh, he's not coping well to a vegan diet, and I think he, he's he's losing his head. I think clearly. I mean, the <laughs> one thing that you you would always associate with Duncan Ferguson. Certainly, as a player, and even in those handful of games he took care, taking to charge of Everton, is yeah, you know, he, he may not be the most tactically advanced manager on the planet. He may not be the you know, um you know, yeah, the one, the one who's gonna, you know, make the changes in, in game that are gonna win the game. But he, you think he's always absolutely at least the one who's gonna put a, put a bit of a rocket at the backside and get team get teams fighting, get teams mega energized. And and when performances don't reach the standard to. Yeah, you know, to, to call that out and and to and to get teams get teams improving, but two points from nine games since going into Forest Green really tells its own story for him. Um, yeah, I, I mean he's he and 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 if you're a Forest Green fan, you're incred- I, I would be incredibly concerned because I've no doubt that they probably did play better from a defensive point of view um, against Stargard than what they did normally because I think enough people have said that and that probably is the truth, but. You're, I'd still be asking questions, why at 1-0 down, certainly why at 2-0 down, did you not try and do, do more to put some pressure on Argonne and get something out of the game? Um, why did you not make, make some more attacking subs? Why didn't you then just tell the players to push 10, 15 yards higher to press a bit more? Hey, take a gamble, you know, because you're going to lose anyway, playing like you are. So I think it's, yeah, it would, I would be concerned if I'm a Forest Green fan having watched that performance and heard
3: his comment. I'm just amazed. Duncan Ferguson and Forest Green Rovers go together like spaghetti and ice cream to me it's just a mad appointment like just a, a completely illogical one of those that you just kind of look at it when it when it came up and it's like well, surely that's not going to work and and to be fair some of those sometimes that you look at those and it just works for whatever reason um, this has not been one of those has it just horrific not at all, all- I I'd, I'd be really interested to see if he stays there how they do next season in league 2 I mean the gap between the league the bottom half of league 1 and league 2 isn't massive could they be could they be struggling I wouldn't rule it out
4: I think they've probably they've probably got enough money as a club that they that they that they you know that they have they will have a decent squad and even if he can't get the squad to perform you know, if they're sat there, if if they're sat there in the bottom half September October, they'll soon be replacing them with someone who can get it to perform. So, I don't think really that they'll be their club with with the kind of resources they have should be anywhere near struggling League Two. But I, I suppose strange things have happened.
2: Let's move on to the Twitter questions. First one from Pasc Wurzel, who suggests that Azaz has been poor since he's returned from injury, hasn't he? There's no question mark at the end, so I don't know if that's a question or just a statement.
3: Mm-hmm. <laughs> difficult to do to difficult to argue with that. Um certainly when you compare it to the form he was showing earlier in the season. It's a it's a frustrating one because he for me in, in the first half of the season was showing all of the kind of levels of talent that we saw from the very best players we've had at this level. I'm thinking mainly Kerry and Lamiras. Um but even then he perhaps didn't kind of Grasp games like, a especially Carey would, um, and yeah. Since since he's come back, it's just not quite happened for him. You know, in, inevitably, um, the player in his role is going to give the ball away a lot, and and to be brutally honest, should be giving the ball away a, a a fair amount because if they're just keeping the ball, that that means they're playing it too safe for me. Um, so. That's fine. He is going to try and be creative and try and unlock defences and occasionally give the ball away. Don't have an issue with that, but it's just too often at the minute. And even when um, you know when he is trying something more straightforward, like a little ball into feet for a for another midfielder or a ball out wide, it's 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 just too many errors at the minute. Um, I don't think. Well, I don't think anyone's place in this team should be guaranteed. Um, especially when we've got options in ACM, Mayer, Callum Wright, um, maybe Tyreek Wright, maybe Ennis. We've got other options there. So I think perhaps looking at going, right, you can be benched for a couple of games, prove your you know, prove your place in the side and, and come back stronger. Maybe that will work. I thought you were saying advanced be benched for a couple of games,
4: not right, you could be benched for a couple of games. Did I say no. right? No, yeah, uh, you oh, did. No, right, I, that, in, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. T-tough, T-tough tough crowd. It. Yeah, tough crowd. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I I do agree. Um, Dan basically said it very well. He had one fantastic game off the bench at Cheltenham, where he came on, just plucked the ball from a defender's feet, almost sort of danced through, making it look easy, slotted it into the corner. He was very good off the bench, and it switched when he assisted Mumba's late goal. Um. Funny enough, the game where really he's best after the turn seems to have been in that early first two or three games, actually. So I think he'd you, almost like he had that initial sort of adrenaline burst of being back in the team but, but and, and was really good in those first two or three games he's coming back. But since then, the last sort of five, six games, uh, you know, seven games maybe, ha- have been by and large pretty poor. Um, the only good one in that run being, being the Derby game, but he was excellent, especially in that 4 3 one But... Yeah, there's certainly nowhere near his best, unfortunately. Lots of passes going awry, lots of even what should be on paper simple passes going awry. Almost at times looking like he's a bit scared to, to kind of go in for a tackle, almost like he's he's sort of still, even if not physically suffering from that injury, almost maybe mentally still a bit scarred by that injury, not wanting to go full tilt in. And his pressing game hadn't been. And certainly not as good as Mair's. Um, I'd, I'd argue not even as good as Callum Wright. Um, and I think that is something you need um, from from the players in that role to have that pressing because we don't really, um, you know, have, have anyone else in those, you know, because we're only, only having one central striker that limits how much we can press the centre-back. So I think it's important that they can press. And I think advance has, has maybe not been doing that as well as it should be. Not to say that he's not going to have a big part in the remaining 10 games, um, because I think he he will do, without a doubt. But I think going into the Atkinson game now, I think you've got to say, with the form he's on, get him on the bench, give him the chance to to fight his way back in again. And I'd probably, if we are going to stick to the 3-4-3, which Ratkinson I probably would, um, given the level of opponents, I would probably go Callum Wright and Danny Mayer inside of, well, one of Ennis or Hardy, probably, probably
2: Ennis. I touched on it at the in the intro, but Steve Riggs asks, "Why can't we wear our green kit at Wembley? It was okay to wear our home kit in our three-two win over Derby County at Pride Park earlier this season." I suppose oh, the question there isn't really why we know why.
3: Life's too short, guys. Does it really <laughs> matter? Does the game matter for starters? But that's a whole other that's a whole debate. Does it? Really, taking Joe's role today. <laughs> does it? Like it's just it. <laughs> yeah. It, We're wearing a a different coloured kit. Is it the end of the world? We've worn green at Wembley six, seven years ago. Probably wore green in 96, although I can't remember off the top of my head. That was the iconic
4: light
2: green Rotterlock kit, wasn't
3: it? Yeah, just, you know.
2: I appreciate the game doesn't really mean that much, but for us, for our first proper, well, not even proper, our first cup final at Wembley, to to have to go in grey... Even if it was the away shirt, and I appreciate that's obviously a bigger clash with Bolton, but the um yeah, I just c I just can't I just can't see why we can't just release a special limited edition home shirt with green sleeves. Surely that just solves Well that
4: that that, that probably would have been and, and, and they could sell it as well and make make profit, couldn't they? So that that might have been an idea that I can say we are where we are with it. It's like I say, I, I do feel it's the least important game of, of the ten remaining by by some way. So I, I'm just looking forward to a game where I can go and have a couple of drinks, enjoy the occasion, uh, without and hopefully just watch us win a good game of football without really being too worried or nervous about the result. Because in the other nine games, I'm going to be very very nervous until and unless we get the job done. So yeah, it's a bit of a shame. I'd like to be playing green. I think it's probably a bit. Over officious and a bit nitpicky of the of the um FA or BFL or whoever
2: it is to to make that decision. But am I going to lose any sleep over it? No, no, and I, and I appreciate that it's not something we need to spend ages on. But like I did tweet earlier that that why is that a big issue now? We can, we can go away to Grimsby and playing grey there, and that's not an issue. Well, yeah, because, because this is on then... because this is on TV and at Wembley. What then? All of a sudden, we need to change strip. Well, yeah, I think certainly, certainly the point about the green one being okay for Derby,
4: where they play in an almost identical kit uh, in, in terms of color scheme to Bolton, does seem a little does seem a little unusual for sure. Um, I don't really see. I don't think anybody really is going to not know who's who. What well, no, well obviously you know, if if people are genuinely colorblind, colorblind, then they might. But in terms of the referee and 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 the line officials being able to make the decision, I don't think they're going to not know. Who, who's who and and, and you know if, if people are are colorblind or visually impaired I, I don't think that going to the gray is going to make that much different because it's not a very standout color it's not a very distinctive color so ultimately i don't see benefits i don't really think it benefits supporters i don't really think it benefits people watching at home on the telly i don't really think it benefits the match officials so yeah i, I like like i say if, if, you, if you want an opinion one the other i do agree it is a bit silly
2: very good. Uh, last Twitter question from Andy Severin. Most probably butchered that. He says, Can we win all nine remaining games because we may need to? Oh,
3: we won't. We won't need to win all nine games. So, what, what that would put us on something like 99 points or something like that? Maybe a hundred. No, no. We well, we're on 77 now, and there's 27 to play for. So, that put us on 104. This, right. So, is he really saying that 102 points wouldn't make, won't be enough? It, or it, it's not it, there is no possible way that you know Ipswich are gonna are gonna get to that kind of points total. Um, you know what? I'll stick my neck on the line and say Sheffield Wednesday won't get to that. I don't think they'll get to 100 points. Not to kind of put them against you know say they're not good, but it's, it's football. It happens. Teams drop points all over the place. Sheffield Wednesday dropped points on Friday. They got a very tough game on Tuesday. It it happens. So, you know, let's, let's not say that, you know, there's going to be some kind of ludicrous points total needed. Sam did make the good point to me when I was trying to argue that I don't think we'll even need something like 93 or 94, um, that, you know, who would have said last season that we would have needed something crazy like 80 points to make the playoffs and there we are so um yeah we we might need um we might need 93 or 94 but we we're not going to need to win all nine games and are will we win all nine games no um our away form is is not um not kind of not not at that level and and you know what again it's football we have No one will win the last nine games. I'll say that.
2: Not to speak for Andy, but like, I suppose it's just that nerves. Like you you mentioned last season, we we just didn't think it was going to happen. And you know, it gets to the final day, and then we slip out, and it's just like, you know, this is our goal. We're not used to this, right? Like we're not used to success or or getting what we want, or you know, getting what we deserve. Sometimes, like in the case of last season, but yeah, I can imagine. There's just it's just nerves in the in the fan base, right? Yeah,
4: I, I definitely think so. Um, I, I, yeah, but in as logical an answer as I can give, it, I don't think we'll need one hundred and four. I think we'll. I, I really think we might need a much higher figure than people are expecting, just because good... Ipswich and Barnsley both look scary at the minute. They're both on absolutely fantastic runs. Barnsley have won something really daft, like seven out of the last eight. Ipswich have won six out of the last seven with seven clean sheets, winning the last six to nil. They both are just absolutely steamrolling uh, towards us. Um, they both they both have tough games to come, of course, and of course they are getting to play each other as well. But I think that even if one of those two drops off their form, the other probably won't to the extent we need them to do. Um, so I think I think ninety five is a is a figure we will need. I think that with the form they're on. One of it switch your bonds, he will
2: get to ninety four, and with our goal difference, I think that means we'll be ninety
3: five.
2: You mentioned there, Christian Walton's in the form of his life. What what's in the water in Plymouth that produces great goalkeepers? Obviously, David Stockdale and uh, Cameron Dawson had stint at Argyle as well. Maybe it's just maybe it's just our uh, our setup down here. Maybe Reese Wilmot is the is the answer to winning League One. Well, without wanting to anyway
4: diminish the role of Reese uh, Wilmot, if, I, if I'm sure is absolutely fine at his job, I think you've just got to look at the catchment area. We have probably the largest catchment area by a um, significant portion of, of any football league club. We have all of Cornwall. It is ours. We have obviously the entire city of Plymouth, which is one of the top 15 biggest cities in the country. We have a large chunk of North Devon, the South Hams, uh, you know, uh, South Devon, um, that th- th- we are the nearest club for, and I think obviously even then some players who fall outside that catchment area. Like Cooper, will come to us just because we're the biggest club in, in Devon and Somerset. So um, I-, I think for that for that reason, we are just gonna, we are going to be a club that produces a lot of high quality young players. So um, I- look, I think. Oh, sorry. I kind of lost track of what I was saying. But yeah, I, I think ultimately we produce a lot of really good young players generally. So obviously a lot of them get sold before they get anywhere near the first team. And turns out two very good ones spanning over the last 10 years have, have happened to be keepers. So I think really it's um, the the academy is something we could, we could put a lot more money into longer term to make sure that the quality young players we do produce then actually go on to become... Quality Football League players, which is what I think the club are doing with with this Rickfields thing. So that was quite a long and rambly answer. And it is one that veered away from the point at times. Sorry, Aaron, but uh, that's the answer I gave. So there we go.
2: That's fine, mate. Let's call it a break there and jump back on to talk uh, all things Accrington.
0: Picture the scene, all of your mates around, you've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Partner this with your team playing champagne football. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. There's nothing quite like a McDelivery. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com.
2: Next up, C Seconds, face 21st as we head to Accrington to face Stanley at the Wham Stadium in midweek. One week in five for Stanley, which came in the form of a 2-1 win over the aforementioned Forest Green. Recent history against Accrington has been okay, scoring eleven in our last three meetings with them. But that five-one still lingers in every Argyle fan's head. Do we do we see John Coleman's side opposing us any problems? As somebody who has been constantly all season,
4: maybe having wavered a, a tiny bit before Cooper's injury, saying that I think we'll just fall short of top two if we win on Tuesday, then that will be a real, real big sign that I'm shifting on that because ultimately, the the real weak spot of our form this season has been the away form against the sort of lower mid-table-ish teams at times. Yes, you're going to expect losses at Shefford Wednesday, Barnsley, maybe even Peterborough, but the the games that are really going to come back and bite us eventually are, are going to be the two losses in a row at Fleetwood and Charlton at the start of the season. And it's going to be the four, away league draws in a row at Bristol Rovers, Lincoln, Burton and Cambridge. Cambridge. Um, yes, yeah, so we've won Cheltenham and Oxford since then, but we have still only won two league away games since mid-October. That's really not great for a team looking to go up. So if we then go to acton and win, that's going to then really, for me, be a sign that we are starting to find the form we need in those away games against the middle and lower ranked sides. And that will give me a lot more encouragement going into Morecambe, going into Exeter, and then Shrewsbury, and then if we still need it, Port Vale. So I am, I am a little apprehensive. I think it's the kind of ground that makes it a tougher game than it is. Hard pitch, uh, very compact ground. You know, no- noisy crowd. If, if a small in number, certainly loud in, loud in voice. Um, like I say, compact ground, hard pitch, cold, rainy night is all the kind of thing that can add up and put more pressure on us than we would like to have on us. It, it, that that makes it more of a leveler beyond just the position of the two teams. And I think if we come out of that with a win, then we'll be on four wins out of five. And then I, you know, I'm re- you know, depending on what what the what the balance of the game is, I, I really will then start to feel a lot more confident that things are things are going to go to plan I'm still not saying I'll I'll be all in but I'll be a lot more confident I I think we're we're going to draw the game it's my gut feeling just because of all the factors I've mentioned and the fact that we just struggle getting those wins against those kind of teams but if we can go on and win the game I'll be
2: very pleasantly surprised anything positive to add Dan Uh,
3: well I I wouldn't I wouldn't dispute any of that really Sam Um, the one thing I'd say about you know Games where the games that will have cost us promotion, I think there is an argument to say, first of all, maybe that game hasn't happened yet because, you know, we our toughest game on paper is Shrewsbury away. Outside of that, we haven't really got any games you'd call tough towards the end of the season, which could really come back to bite me. But, you know, I'm not saying that as if we'll we'll win all of them, but just on paper, our running is, is easy. Therefore, if we don't get over the line, it will probably be one of the games... Still to come that that is that is for that, or if we do kind of get past ninety points and end up third and not going up, you could say that there were no games that you could that you know meant that's why we didn't go up, and that's that's the kind of disappointment. Just purely, we were unlucky that there were two very very good teams that just pipped us, um, Accrington. Yeah, it, again, kind of a similar thing to what I said on the pod before Oxford uh, away, which is just, it's it wouldn't be the end of the world if we didn't win, but it would just be nice to kind of, it would it be very important to pick up a couple more away wins before the end of the season. Um, our away form, as we discussed at length after the uh, Barnsley pod, um, is not bad, um, looking at the away league table, but. Yeah, as Sam says, two away league wins in in four months, five months now is not great, and something that could we could do with addressing. Tuesday would be a very good start to that. Yeah,
4: um, it it really would. And in, in terms of team selection, I think we probably don't don't want to go too mad with the rotation because we do have a well what, like nine day, no, 11 day gap until we next play again. And then from, and then actually in terms of our next league game, we're like a 17 day gap. So I think we can pretty much play, play the strongest team without having to worry too much about minutes in the legs. Um, I, I would, and, and obviously the way we then did, referring to my early point in the podcast, the way we then did ease off against Forest Green will, will kind of help with that. So I would, I would put right in for Zad's, but I think Zad's been off the, off the pace a bit the last few games. Um, I'd, I'd maybe put tete in for one of Houghton or Butcher other than that i'd I'd stay with a, a pretty similar team to be honest um i wouldn't I wouldn't go making five or six changes I wouldn't go bringing in people like early or Miller or, or anything like that necessarily just because um like I say we've got a little bit more time so hopefully we can can put a strong team out get past the banana skin get the win and yeah we'll, we'll be motoring if we do.
2: Yeah, brilliant. Before we end the pod, we have four legends of the game to talk about. Obviously, Pele, Ryan Taylor, Jason Banton and Frank Nuble But before we do that, we're going to draw the uh, winner of the Terrace Life giveaway. I'll share my screen so the others can vouch that um, there's no foul play even.
3: Why do all these names just say A-Hocking, A-Hocking, A-Hocking? <laughs> I don't see any of the names on here. What's going
2: on? Basically, the way I've done it is everybody that interacted um, gets involved. Uh, if you did all three steps, you are in three times. Obviously, you have to be following us and Terrace Live. <laughs> Sam, do you want to read out the winner there?
4: The winner is Will with the Twitter, the name of The Ultimate Bill. So, Will, congratulations. You are our
2: winner. There we go. Nice and easy. That went a lot smoother than I was expecting. We'll get in touch with you and uh, Terrace Life to sort out that freebie. Uh, like we said, before we go, we have four legends to talk about. 50 years since Pelé rocked up at Plymouth. Favourite Pelé memory? No, obviously not as easy as that. <laughs> uh, the, the Box have released a fantastic film in collaboration with a club uh, with his shirt from the game also on show, kindly donated by our own legend, Johnny Hoare. I don't know if either of you have had a chance to watch that.
3: I haven't, sadly, but but it sounds good.
2: Yeah, I haven't, but I I will try to. It
4: does sound, it sounds very good. And it's good to see a big part of, of Plymouth history being remembered in that
2: way. Okay, well, watch that. We'll talk about that on Wednesday. We saw Ryan Taylor's Grimsby Town knocked out of the FA Cup by Brighton how pivotal was our hand up to the side from cleeford. They couldn't do it without us, right?
4: Yeah, well, it makes me feel a little bit less bad about that game now. It's, it, well, I was kind of wondering about, about the parallel universe where, where where that was us getting battered by Barnsley today after beating Southampton before. But I guess in that parallel universe where we're probably even more sort of knackered and squad than we are and probably out of the top two um, or, or, or not going to Wembley or, or both. So, yeah, you know. It's always difficult to say how, how things have a knock on effect, but uh yeah, I think good good on Ryan Taylor. It's good to see him getting some regular minutes and getting some success. I think he was uh harshly treated um in his last sort of one or two seasons. I think Derek Adams really sort of lost his head not giving him enough minutes in the relegation season. And obviously with, with with Ryan Lowe, he just wasn't he wasn't really suited to that system. Um and, and yeah, just very rarely got any minutes during that final sort of Um, season. It got cut short due to COVID in 1920, so good to see him go and find success somewhere without a doubt. It's
2: a big week that saw two former Argyle players announce their retirement in Jason Banton and Frank Nublet. Both hung up their boots. Uh, Favourite Banton moment, Dan?
3: Well, I've got to say the goal against Exeter, which is going to make me sound like a massive fan of the Argyle-Exeter rivalry, which I don't really like, but... um, it was a forgetting who we were playing. It was a pivotal goal in an important game that kept us in the division. Um, Those six goals he scored towards the end of the season to make us our top scorer for that entire season um, were absolutely huge. And I think the um, little bit of kind of arrogance in a good way to, to coin that phrase um, that he showed towards the end of that season was just what we needed, you know, um, we'd been quite yeah lacking in confidence throughout that season um for me and so for, for him to come in and go yeah i'm i'm good and i'm going to show that i'm good and just and and score critical goals um was absolutely crucial obviously the flip side of that is how he performed throughout the rest of his career and it and it and it didn't happen for him um so it was a a, a, a what could have been his career but a, a we will always have to be grateful for those goals that kept us in the Football League.
2: Yeah, I was going to say, obviously, I adjust slightly, but, you know, we we do have to give him some credit for, like you said, those goals that kept us in the Football League. And, mm. and it, it's a real shame, really, to see how his career went. And, I'm, you know, I'm sure he has some doubts about it and, and would change certain things. But to see him, like, you know, be passed from Billerickey to Braintree to Romford, to, you know, anywhere anywhere south of the Watford Gap, you know. Um, mm it's just just a bit of a shame of how how it, what his career could have been. Moving on, Sam. That leaves you with Frank Newblay. What was your favourite Frank Nouble moment in green? Uh,
4: the goal against Pompey. I, I, you know what? As anyone who knows me you knows, my Argon memory is absolutely fantastic, and I I, I can pretty much quote you any games, many seasons on what the date was, what the score was, and I can more often than not tell you tell you who scored the goals, but. Um, I, I've just got a weird brain like that. But that that COVID season is probably my weakest season of all of the seasons, even if it's the most recent. one. Well, I kind of, I can probably just about remember most of the scores, but I really struggle to remember who, who scored them again. I think it was Pompey. I can sort of visualise the goal where um, it sort of falls to, to Nubles, um, just um, sort of over over by the Linda Sand, about, bit angled, about 25, 30 yards out. He... Sort of take you know takes the ball down, drops the shoulder, get gets past the player and rifles the ball into the corner. I'm pretty sure it was against Pompey I'm, and I'm pretty sure it put us one-nil up uh that game in the COVID season. Um so that would have to be my favorite Frank Newley memory by default because there weren't that many of them and he was only here for half a season when there were no fans. But uh yeah it was a, it was a good goal and for a player who didn't really light up his Argyle career but he certainly had some some good moments, and
3: that was one of them. What about his legendary keeping the ball in the corner flag when we were yeah, no, the of course. yeah, towards see, the end a, of games.
4: Yeah, again, you see that that's the kind of thing that just the memories that just don't stick in the mind in that season. I think if 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 we were sort of really there, and then that those kind of things would gain a bit more of a cult
2: status. But to be honest, I think I remember him keeping the ball in the corner more than him scoring. I, I didn't even remember that he had scored for us. So. All I remember is him and um, was it the same season as Telford? Or, or am I getting my COVID it was, season? yeah, was yeah. Where, was, he, yeah. They, he, they would just be thrown on with like five minutes to go, and then um they would just like hold it up in the corner. So
4: what, what, what I would say about Newbliss? I think we didn't really use him to, to his best potential. I think Argyle have got an awful habit over the years of whether a striker is is actually best suited as a target man or not if they're tall. And if they're physically strong, we, we have the bad habit that we we use them as a the target man by hook or by crook, even if they're not best suited to being a target man. Um, Rory Fallon, Ryan Brunt fell into that. Cosgrove, I think at times we tried to use him too much as a target man and not enough where his strengths are, which is that of a poacher. And I think Nubla was another one to add to that list. I think Nubla was at his absolute best when he just had his front to goal where he could, you know run at players and used use the the strength and the power that he had to sort of get past players. Um obviously he he then w- was very variable very, in front of goal. He had some weaknesses, his first touch was quite poor. His finishing was not not really great. But um I think he was he was at his best and he, he was just a, a pure force of nature using his strength and his pretty decent dribbling ability to get past players front of the goal and I think if we'd have used him as that more often, he could have been a pretty decent League One player. He certainly wasn't a very good League One target man, in spite his height. So,
2: We'll call it a day there. Before we go, uh, RR's women fell to a 2-0 defeat today at uh, the hands of Gillingham. And the under-18s, the academy side, squandered a lead. Also played Gillingham, but drew for all with uh, Jenkins Davis. Looks like he was the pick of the bunch as per usual. Uh, I think we'll call it a night there. Cheers for joining me, guys. Cheers, all. Cheers, Aaron. With that brings a close to another green and white pod brought to you by Argyle Life. Be sure to follow us on Twitter, like on Facebook, and keep up to date with all things Argyle by checking out www.argyle.life. As always, with all listens, old and new we really appreciate if you could leave a review on spotify or apple podcasts or wherever you found us every rating helps us beat that algorithm see you next week